I honestly think some of like the like um when when the creepy line they're talking about um Google's ability to influence elections. Mm-hmm. Right. I honestly think like part of the bias that he uncovered was like Google didn't even intend for that at all to happen. Right. But right. they just sort of stumbled upon it, like you said. And well, then now they completely like, embrace it. Is, like, uh, yeah, like part of it is just inoperable. Like you wouldn't be able to really shift it into a way that you could influence, say, a gubernatorial race hmm. in the same way that you could do so with so like quote unquote low tech methods of like just making just outright racism or something right. where well, you could bar people from being able to sign up to vote or something. And, yeah, so just the story Stephen's telling, again, from the documentary The Creepy Line, a researcher named Robert Epstein, no relation. <laughs> uh, Allegedly. Yeah. So he did this experiment where they essentially took people to look at the Australian election in 2010, which, you know, generally if they're using Americans, they won't have any idea about the Australian election. So it's like they test people and they ask, you know, what's your knowledge and preference and trust of these candidates right. so they can get a, sa- a, a control group. Then they have them look at this search engine where they're controlling the results. They have one that will primarily show negative um, uh, results for one candidate, one that will primarily show negative results for another, another that's as close to neutral as possible. And what they essentially found is they can get like a 10 to 20% shift in people's things by just having them use the search engine. And then what they found that was really disturbing was 85 to 90% of people had no idea the search engine was biased. You know, they oh, really? just assumed the search engine was neutral. They hmm. assumed they was just returning regular results, even if it was. And they uh, even found that. And like, if they knew it was biased, it wouldn't work. Right. Exactly. And they even found that when they kind of like covered their tracks a little, like, say, four pro articles for every one negative article you put sure, on, the, sure. on the front page or, you know, whereas the other person is just all pro articles. When you just kind of rejigger this a little bit to make the bias not as explicit, you know, that goes up to like 95 percent have no idea that the search engine is at all biased. Yeah. But so he writes this article in the Washington Post, which is essentially like Google has the power to sway elections, and he summarizes his results from this study, and the very next day, he is locked out of his Google account. (laughs) So it's just really explicit and pretty terrifying. Yeah, and um, I'll I'll, I'll wait and talk to the, the drop. All right, well, this is Robert Epstein. Uh, this is the Robert Epstein story. The day after that article appeared, that's when Google decided to shut off Dr. Robert Epstein. The next day, I could no longer access Google.com. I mean, you're seeing something here that probably very few people in the world have ever seen. You are seeing a timeout on Google.com. <laughs> so I started, you know, asking around. I started doing some research on it, and I, and I actually found how a company like Google could, in fact, cut you off from their services. I also found in their terms of service, very clear language saying they had every right to cut you off from their services whenever they pleased, with or without cause. Yeah, and I mean, that is just like you think about in your day-to-day life, how much you rely on Gmail, Google Docs, we do research for this podcast on Google Docs. Like, as soon as you are a threat, they could just lock you out and all of your data that you've uploaded to them is gone now, you know, Mm, And, and all of this stuff. And I mean... Again, just the amount of power that they have without anyone really realizing or spending much time thinking about it is fucking horrifying. Well, on top of on top of like like tech power that they've built up, they also have uh, they've also developed, you know, just kind of classic uh, political power. Essentially, they've they've made inroads into the think tank world. Like Eric Schmidt went on to uh, basically create the New America Foundation or at least he, he funded it. 
um, which shaped a lot of uh, Obama's economic policy. One of the things uh, that happened at the New America Foundation a little while later was that after uh, Google had a loss in um, EU courts and had to pay $4 billion, mm-hmm. this guy Barry Lynn had... Um, he praised the who worked for the new america foundation he praised that eu ruling and schmidt basically pressured the the head of the new american foundation to fire him and 10 of his research employees um one other drop from the creepy line actually Mm -hmm. but yeah so they they also talk about how google has been funding research papers so essentially like if you want to make this argument that they are uh corrosive you know you need like scholarly research papers so right so google um and sometimes the, they'll they'll have people uh, they'll they'll pay a lot of people to do these research papers, and sometimes Google will actually review the paper before it's published. Yeah. Um, and some of the people who uh, publish them won't even review or won't even reveal uh, or disclose that they're basically being funded by Google. Mm-hmm. Here's the drop. Um, so Google provides a ton of funding for academic institutions, individual academics all around the world. So we found something like 300 papers that were funded by Google in some way that supported Google's policy positions. They like to say, hey, we, we have the f- country's foremost academic experts behind us. And what they're not telling it, the public is the fact that they're actually funding these so-called independent experts, these so-called independent academics. So you know it's bad because you can hear the dramatic music in the back. <laughs> they well, so the FTC was uh, investigating a Google antitrust thing, mm. and right in the middle of that, around I'm sure they got to the bottom of it. <laughs> around May 2012, uh, while they were investigating, um, there was this George Mason University uh, at the George Mason University Law and Economics Center. There were uh, that's all the these one that's talks. like Koch Brothers funded, right? Um, I'm not sure. GMU. We talked about this on the Koch Brothers episode, oh, okay. but they have the Mercatus Institute, which is like a Koch Brothers auxiliary funding thing, which of course churns out some of the worst libertarian hot tanks, which of uh, hot takes, which of course the uh, uh, Koch Brothers uh, uh, fund. Right, right. And Google uh, kind of got in on this during the FTC thing uh, by having a bunch of the speakers there be either Google employees or just people who were really sympathetic to Google, but it would never be revealed before they spoke. And a lot of people in the audience were the regulators. So basically they're just making it seem like all these experts are big fans of Google. Right. Uh, right. Google also, they backed the EFF, Electronic Foundier, uh, Frontier Foundation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, they're the ones who are most for like net neutrality. Electronic or just, Frontier Foundation, yeah. Yeah, um, or just like internet rights. Uh, but... They're also supported by Google, so right, they can't right, right. really speak out against Google. I remember, huh. so this bootlicking book I read, the Google guys, they they uh, briefly mentioned with, they mentioned that a former Google employee went on to head the EFF, <laughs> and then they like don't comment on why that might be a conflict of interest at all. <laughs> but oh, before I forget, it did just occur to me that Google has a list of every single person who has ever Googled uh, age of consent laws in different <laughs> states. Really? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, and and um, wait, not, is that true? Well, I would assume so. <laughs> I mean, it's on record somewhere. Yeah, I, I mean everything they got's in somewhere. If you they're know? putting together a profile of yeah. you so they can show you ads, they have to know if you're right. like really into like uh, reading articles about the difference between pedophilia and aphebophilia. I mean, I I will say, say what you want about the libertarians, yeah. but. <laughs> 
Okay. <laughs> Done. <laughs> the people who are Googling that stuff are also the people who are working through like three ghost servers, redirecting, <laughs> and a Tor account. Yeah, the smart ones. Yeah. But so one other thing from the Google guys book, this uh, Electronic Frontier Foundation that Andy uh, mentioned, apparently in 2008, Google claimed, is what they said, they only keep user data for nine months and then they anonymize it. That's what they said. We oh, have, really? We have no way of verifying that, but that's what they told people. Hmm. Yeah, they're probably lying. And, yeah. And so <laughs> the Electronic Frontier Foundation and the European Union, they wanted to reduce that to six months. But Google said, we can't do that without compromising our products right, and making right. it you know, not as, not as good for people. Um, and then this got tied up in uh, EU court for a while, but I don't believe it's it's ever really been resolved. And again, it's these are companies that we don't have access to. We just have to trust them, and that's of course the problem with corporate power. We have no real input into it. Yeah, and and there was one attempt to uh, really rein them in, uh, which uh, came out of a controversy with Google Street View, mm-hmm. uh, which was essentially that. Google, um, you know, when they were creating Street View, they have those iconic cars that you'd see see in like Arrested Development with a camera on top of them and they say, Google! And uh, they found in Hamburg, I, I believe, that... Yeah, it was in Hamburg. In Hamburg, yep. that the Street View cars, uh, along with, you know, taking pictures of every everyone everywhere on the road, um, and I'm sure processing that for God knows what, um, they were also, the cars were also outfitted, um, with, uh, Wi-Fi systems or systems that would just go into unsecured Wi-Fi networks and pull as much data as they could from people. Right. And <laughs> just blatantly pulling data out of unsecured Wi-Fi networks. And so, uh, that came out and was, uh, I guess a big scandal for a second. It's, um, and it's why you don't see Google street view in Germany, but Part of that then is the uh, FTC was like, okay, well, we're going to investigate that. Or not FTC, the FCC, Federal Communications Commission. Um, They were like, oh, we should look into that. And so essentially what Google did to deflect this is first they said, oh, it was a a rogue engineer who put a line of code in on his own. Uh, We didn't know about it, even though apparently some internal records showed that, like, you know, this code was uh, passed up the chain Mm -hmm. and, like, you know... Um, seen by the person's superior. It wasn't us. It was some guy we were paying to do shit for us. Yeah, yeah. And then... Sergey didn't see it. He was in the massage room at the time. (laughs) So, Google... If you you check his calendar, it's very clear what he was doing. (laughs) Google then just straight up dragged their feet uh, on releasing this information. And eventually, like, they released as little as they possibly could to the FCC and, you know, because American uh, enforcement agencies just don't have much power, uh, Google was able to pretty easily just circumvent um, any kind of checks on their power by dragging their feet. And eventually it it just kind of, the FCC couldn't do anything. And it, it, it's, um, the they finally, um, or the author finally found out who the, um, the rogue, uh, engineer is and he wasn't like fired or anything he was like promoted yeah moved, and, around, like, probably, moved yeah. around a little bit but like there there was no um yeah for this incident in hamburg they were fined one hundred ninety thousand mm. dollars um but when it comes to google that's chump change but in the time since then they've been fined like around nine billion dollars something around that amount for various different things essentially they pay more in fines to the eu than they do in taxes <laughs> 
With that $190,000, they could almost create Amanda Rosenberg's web series. <laughs> <laughs> um, Most of it goes to rent. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> yeah. but any, anyways, that's, Andy. That's what you need for a one-bedroom in San Francisco. <laughs> Andy, you, d- you did leave out the happy ending of that story where everyone at the FTC got sweet new Google jobs. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy, though. The thing you mentioned a while ago about the fucking eight years that the United States government and Google just swapped employees. Oh, yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, like, just blatant uh, fucking, you work for me, I'll work for you. Like, I remember when the Ajit Pai FCC stuff was coming out, the amount of vitriol over him working for Verizon previously over the right. Trolley stuff, mm-hmm. but with this Google shit, you've barely heard any of it. With this figure that I just uh, pulled about the one hundred ninety thousand, I tried like for eight different searches: Hamburg, Google, Street View, Car, Fine, and Google just couldn't find it for some reason. And then I looked it up in Bing, and it's the first result. <laughs> and it's like oh, you fucking you idiots. But it is just like interesting. Another uh, aspect of that revolving door is like you see this with press accounts, like at least with the kind of the revolving door with Wall Street or in the case of like the the heroin epidemic, the revolving door between um, uh, the DEA or the FDA, Big Pharma, all these people who are creating the heroin epidemic. This revolving door is like it is reported on with the press in like a very deeply condemning kind of terms. But this revolving door with big tech, like I remember even reading articles in the Obama admin, it was like. It was always portrayed as like, of course they're hiring. They're hiring the smartest people in the country. They need these these master race, learn to code people are going to bring our fucking government up to uh, a web 2.0 and they're going to modernize all the infrastructure. So it's like, why wouldn't there be a revolving door? These are the smartest people. Of course we want them. It's Leisure Suit Larry. Yeah. It's it's out there in the open with the big tech world because they they really look up to those people. Yeah, of course. They're just fundamentally better than us. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's baked into the ideology of uh, again learn to code and, and it, it used right. to be the same way with wall street people mm-hmm. getting hired into the economic like planning sector of the of the white house right that is true like definitely before 2008 because like obama was like i want the smart i want the smartest people at hand for this financial crisis so of mm-hmm. course he goes to like goldman sachs right right, right. And, and the sad, uh, bank of america merrill lynch and all of them and the sad reality is because these um corporations and infrastructures make money they're not they're technically all like okay if they're not making money they're dumb but because they make money they're so intelligent you know what i mean yeah, like they're yeah. not it's not the prowess of their merit that's actually bringing them to like oh wow they're really innovating in ways that's great it's just well they're making money so they got to be smart and it's not well they're corrupt that's why they're making money <laughs> Um, so a couple yeah. things I wanted to get to. Steve, you read this. Uh, there's an Intercept article about China. Basically, I know like Google was in oh, China. Wait, yeah. before before we go into this, I want to um, talk about some of their other, uh, just quickly about some of their other um, exploits into uh, basically tracking behavior. Like Google, uh, uh, Yogi, you were talking about how they have these um, Wi-Fi networks that they would set up to basically, um, they would provide Wi-Fi to different um, cities, and right. that um, clearly w- was it like a free Wi-Fi public service. Or? That was the idea. Yeah. Essentially, in 2006, Google was going to set up Wi-Fi in Mountain View, a la the same way you get Wi-Fi in like Starbucks and stuff. So it was the first citywide Wi-Fi program, and essentially, very quickly, it uh, materialized into, "Hey, this Wi-Fi sucks." <laughs> um, but they used uh, lamp posts to put Wi-Fi uh, like receivers, I guess, and that's how they got Wi-Fi all around the the city. 
Um, but, the, you know, in 2013, this article off the uh, MV Voice talks about how City Hall is going to switch off the Google Wi-Fi and it's going to cost them 130000 over the next five years to replace the system because it's that bad. And people in the comments, one of them was like, well, it was set up in 06, so maybe the bandwidth was not good enough. But another comment was like, no, no, this thing's been terrible since day one. Hmm. But essentially, Google gets free PR and good press to be like, wow, look, they're doing something so great by setting but- up... Well, I was just going to say one counterpoint to that is essentially like Google's incentive to set up free Wi-Fi is because Google is so synonymous with the Internet, 90% of searches are done through Google. More people online is more money for them. Well, well it's not It's not just that. It's it's uh, the same reason that Street View was sucking up information. It's just more behavioral data. Right, right, right. yes. And, and the so, last thing I want to yeah. mention about the Wi-Fi is that um, the other reason that they decided to set up the Wi-Fi in Mountain View was essentially they didn't want their employees paying for Wi-Fi via a different service that they wouldn't be able to track like Andy's mentioning. So instead of all of their employees paying, you know, Comcast or Xfinity, you know, whoever else, they're going through themselves. But the reality is, is their Wi-Fi sucked. So they, they got good PR being like, hey, we set up this Wi-Fi in this town. And there was another city that I uh, have to look up that uh, they set this up. And then the same situation happened where their Wi-Fi sucks because all they really wanted was the good Buying good PR by providing a shitty service is a very Google move. But, but it I remember wasn't... when we were all excited that Google, Google Fiber was going to save us from right, the right. fucking terrible internet we all suffer with. Oh yeah, and really, and it's it, just like it just, went nowhere. It's gonna it's, it went nowhere, yeah, that, and it's it was, also yeah. just another um, another tool for sucking up again. Like eighty nine percent of their profits are from ads, and part of their uh, ad pitch is that we can predict human behavior better than right. anyone else. And so if they control more and more aspects of your behavior, it's like, of course, Google and Facebook are the mainly profitable uh, internet companies because nobody else has access to the data that they do. Yeah. And, and they're always expanding that because of the arms race of capitalism. And one, one other way that they tried to do it, of course, um, that, you know, got uh, Mr. Brin into some trouble was they uh the rollout of google glass which eventually was so transparently just a tool to uh invade as many everyone's personal space right. because but it like it was even more than the android because the android at least you can say someone buys an android they're entering into the agreement to have right. their space violated um but if someone's wearing google glass that means just some asshole on the street is videotaping you uh, without your knowledge you go you know. Yeah, without your knowledge for Google's information systems. And so obviously like Google Glass. That's that's what you get for thinking you're too good for Steve Jobs. (laughs) (laughs) Buying an Android, you deserve to have your data dumped. (laughs) So there was, you know, uh, all kinds of places would ban Google Glass, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, stores. People got attacked. Yeah, people got attacked. Um, Good. Yeah. (laughs) And How much was it? Do you guys know how much Google Glass was? I don't know. I mean, it was it was probably much cheaper than um, you would expect. For cheaper like, than Oakley's. <laughs> it was one ten, well, one ten thousandth of a web series. <laughs> they, so they they claimed that um, they were going to redesign it to be more stylish, mm. and they're going to work with uh, whoever Ray Ban, Ray Ban, or some shit. Mm. Um, but then another part of their strategy. Was oh, this is great. I'm sorry to cut you off, but uh, in Bing, if you just look up Google Glass cost, uh, they say it costs seventy nine ninety eight to make each hair, but it would to buy it was a thousand five hundred dollars. Damn, 
That's fucking what a markup. <laughs> and mind you, in on Google, couldn't find anything about this. <laughs> Bing number one result. Listen, obviously Microsoft might have vendetta against Google. Let me rephrase that. They do got a vendetta <laughs> against Google. But the stark reality is if you want dirt on Microsoft, check Google. But if you want dirt on Google, check Bing. Well, here's the thing that I mentioned I in the can't notch wait episode. Till is... People have to bing this episode. <laughs> <laughs> thing I mentioned in the Notch episode is uh, Google or Microsoft is getting in on this now. That's the new mm-hmm. uh, yep. direction of Microsoft. HoloLens. And yeah. HoloLens. And so what happened with the uh, Google Glass is that uh, in addition to, you know, quote, redesigning it, uh, which, you know, I, that's not... That's not going to work, buddy. That's not going to work. But what that's kind of a smokescreen for what they're actually doing is they um, said, oh, okay, well, it has utility in work environments. Right, right. So we're going to introduce it in these uh, warehouses or whatever. And what they're really doing is they're basically introducing it in a place where employees don't have a choice. They have to wear Google Glass to do their job. Right. And in that process, they will then be habituated to wearing Google Glass, which will ease the transition into bringing it out in larger society. Yeah, I don't think we realize how fortunate we are that failed because Google going into the corporate market outside of consumer consumption would have, I mean, obviously they're in corporate markets. I'm not saying they're not, but something like this, a physical product being a corporatized product, you know, a company like Boeing or Walmart would have bought millions of these things. Well, oh I God. feel like that's kind I, of why I would hate if my if my manager right? rolled right? out like these are Google glasses. They'll help you do your job. And I mean, like, like you, you could do shit where you'd be like, all right, so like you know, There's I'm a pallet sort- mover yeah, yeah, in yeah. a warehouse. Well, that's, that's, they're no longer labeled. You have to use Google Glass to get that shit that's, done. That's, that's what they're doing with the uh, yeah, Amazon Amazon warehouses. Like very explicitly, that's the direction they're moving. Where it's like, if you're wearing these shits, then of course they can much more effectively uh, metadata all of right, how you're spending right. your time while you're working. And I think there is a point at which you know, as much as uh, class consciousness and labor has been like broken in America I do think there is a point where people revolt and push back but it is just something where it's like like we've said you saw this pushback to the Google Glass initially but it is just like okay they're going back to the drawing board how do we get people to wear this without you know revolting right yeah, they're very relentless in it. Like, if a if a product like this fails once, they just immediately go back and try to retool it. It's yeah. interesting how Palmer mentioned how Microsoft is innovating with the HoloLens now, because it kind of reminds me of how Microsoft tried tried to introduce, you know, essentially iPads, the ThinkPad, in the, like the late to mid '90s, and it was a complete failure in that, like, it just w- the technology wasn't there to make a usable convenient uh, iPad essentially mm-hmm. and then Apple looked at that tech and I mean not looked at it physically but like went okay let's let's make this better and then created a huge market of iPads but Microsoft kind of did the flip with Google Glass they watched Google Glass kind of fail and went okay I think we could we could probably do that but not shitty <laughs> and uh, I mean a HoloLens is an example of them trying to do that and I do think that Microsoft has uh, primarily been a corporate model based uh, corporation and so for them to utilize HoloLens in the way that Google Glass would have gone eventually, it was very scary. Yeah. yeah. So I wanted to talk about China as well, as briefly, like kind of employee perks and, uh, and these kinds of things. But uh, from what I understand, there was an article in 2018 in The Intercept, which, which had some internal Google Docs about essentially them coming back into China, because that's yeah. another interesting thing about, you know, again, being an IPO, is that because you have to deliver these returns, you have to start doing kind of dubi- dubiously ethical things. So in 2006, initially, Google is just running, before 2006, they're just running an offshore search engine in China. So the, the Great Firewall of China is blocking Google, but if you can get a proxy, you can get around, you can get onto 
to Google. But what happens is, again, this is from the Google guy's book, um, uh, Badu, Baidu, however you pronounce that, the Chinese search engine. Baidu. Yeah. Baidu. Um, so what happened... <laughs> yeah, Sean, say it the way Yogi just did. Baidu. Uh, Baidu. I, I, uh, you're canceled. Baidu. Uh, Yogi, you're canceled. <laughs> Okay, uh, now someone say the N word. <laughs> Special guest, PewDiePie. <laughs> Why is uh, that not on the keyboard? <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't have time. You know, I was I was done with it after one episode. <laughs> uh but so the point was essentially Google is just doing this offshore thing, but Baidu my is wife. my <laughs> wife. Baidu Baidu complies with Chinese censorship laws. Listen, they, he's probably one of the smartest human beings on the planet Earth. <laughs> PewDiePie. <laughs> uh, so Baidu complies with these Chinese censorship laws, you know, again, like cutting out anything about Tiananmen Square protests, about, you know, democratic movements, uh, these sorts of things. Um, and so what happened in the lead up to 2006, Google's market share starts dropping uh, compared to Baidu's. Um, I believe in 2005, there was a report that said Google had 38% of the market share, while Baidu went up to 44%. Um, and then in 2006, this is kind of what leads Google to say, okay, we have to get in the market because we're losing market share to Baidu. So from 2006 to 2010, Google is like running a censored search engine, but they actually do leave in 2010 because uh, Chinese government affiliated hackers do actually hack Google. And we're talking about, we, we've <laughs> mentioned this uh, in this, these episodes, but this collection of data that they have is terrifying, especially like with any sort of even loosely totalitarian state. So China has, you know, these these dissidents that they want to suppress. So, of course, where do they find information on them? They just hack Google because Google has this information. Right. So 2010, they hack Google. They get some information on dissidents. Uh, you know, we don't know what happened to those people. I assume they were imprisoned. But... 2010, Google does leave China. Uh, they learned China. to love socialism. I mean, they also left because the con like a congressional high tech committee got got wind of all this. Right. They had like it really grilled Sundar It PJ is the for, only I shouldn't say the only, but some of the only really bad press that Google has gotten yeah. is for what they've been doing in China. So like Sundar Pichai, the, C the CEO at the time of Google, or current CEO actually. Mm -hmm. uh, and also then got grilled by the, the high tech committee, like the house committee. And it was like part of why they, that happened was because of the, the Chinese hackers basically. And he said, well, like the, the rhetoric that they had at the time was like, well, we're pulling out of China because like, ultimately this doesn't, this doesn't pass muster with what passes as our, um, principles for dealing with, a totalitarian regime and all that. Like, do we really want to be involved in this? So, like, that that was sort of, like, papered over as the reason why they are they were pulling out. One other fun thing, and again, like, from this book, The Google Guys, which is just so bootlicking, uh, they talk about this shareholder meeting before 2010 where uh, Amnesty International had presented two proposals, which was basically requiring the company to set up an independent human rights committee to uh, examine practices in China um, with the aim of, like, limiting censorship and information collection and this kind of stuff there. Um, so management felt that this was already being done and rejected the proposal. But in a show of solidarity with those who have concerns about the issue, Sergey decided to abstain from voting his shares against it, neither agreeing nor disagreeing. True, it was a... So brave. True, it was a largely empty gesture since the board and management had plenty of votes to reject it. But he wanted to demonstrate an acknowledgement of the difficulty of the issue. 
How uh, does he find the courage? <laughs> uh, Larry it's Page, Larry Page, and CEO Eric Schmidt voted against the proposal yeah. <laughs> to set up an independent board to monitor human rights activities in China. Another fun fact: the name Sundar in Hindi means beautiful. Mm. So he's a beautiful man. Mm-hmm. Well, Aww. I don't know about that, but <laughs> his name. We'll, we'll it, abstain from making decisions on that. Uh, we'll abstain from that vote. Yeah. It, it describes the taste of pork, which people in Uyghur camps now get to enjoy. <laughs> Well, one one thing also, uh, if uh, in terms of utilizing this kind of technology, in terms especially when it comes to behavior modification, is in China um, they have a kind of credit score, but it's it's a, a social credit score, where essentially the idea is to use a lot of these uh, behavioral analytics. I'm just um, imagining somebody finding like a lost chapter of Karl Marx's Capital where he's talking about how this is what pure socialism is. <laughs> Everybody has a score that the government determines. There's a few blank and, pages at the end of Capital Volume 3. He's like, still reading? Yes. All right. So this so what, is what we really care about. So what we really need for socialism is for anyone who wants to buy a train ticket and go anywhere, they have to have a minimum social credit score. <laughs> you, know, you know something that's funny is that David Harvey said he's he's been uh, teaching. I, I went. I'm I'm going to his. Uh, he's doing lectures on reading Marx's Capital. That there you can watch them online too. One of the things he said this week um, after you finish this episode. Yeah, we'll link it in the Tumblr. It, it, one of the things he said is like after 40 years of teaching capital to various audiences, like he's taught it in China and they're especially hard to teach capital to because you have to break through just all of the um, all the slogans <laughs> <laughs> about oh, yeah. Karl Marx right. to actually teach the content of Karl Marx. Oh, wow. Um, but, so there's like communist youth in China who are actually political dissidents because they just act, they read capital right. and they don't really adhere to the party lines. Huh about what Marxism is and stuff like that. And yeah, China, the Chinese government is ironically enough cracking down on like Maoists who are... Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. like people really? that are like the one sort of like, this is the true brand of Maoism that we right. forget that is, was lost They're like, after communism. like the Cultural Revolution. <laughs> and so like those people are getting cracked down on now. Mm-hmm. That's nuts. Real communism is tech innovation. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, so there's this Intercept article from yeah. 2018, which is basically, so they leave China around 2010, but of course, you know, there's just so much money on the table that they're trying to go back in, and uh, there's uh, the Intercept got uh, these kind of internal confidential Google documents about they're going to go back in and set up another uh, horrifying censored totalitarian yeah, search engine. They call it Project Dragonfly. <laughs> just kind of so lame, exotic. I think. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, it's actually, it came about in 2017, Sundar Pichai um, took a trip to China and met with um, a a really high-ranking member of the Communist Party who's sort of like, he's known as the the Kissinger of China, (laughs) basically. Let me get his name for you, hold on. Uh, What's funny is that for all the human rights abuses that are attributed to China, Mm -hmm. uh, if China has a Kissinger... He clearly doesn't have as many bodies to his name as the actual <laughs> yeah. Kissinger. So his name is Wang Huning, and he was like sort of the a political advisor to President 
Xi Jinping. I'm I'm just imagining him him being really modest about being called the Kissinger of China and being like, please, please, I've only overthrown two governments. <laughs> yeah, he's, but is in reality his body count is far lower. But yeah, like he aspires yeah. to this sort of mantle. What a I've, bitch! I've only had yeah. my finger in like one genocide. <laughs> this guy is like, I mean, he's not. I mean, he's I, not the Kissinger level, like but he, like, every day then. he's grinding for sure. Please, please. The Uyghur camps are nice, but it's no Bangladesh. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, they, you know, I, these I'm, secret, I'm, I'm trying to get my way back to me, lie. <laughs> these secret documents that were obtained by the Intercept are basically like, yeah, we're going to go and do a censored version of Google again. Mm-hmm. You know, try, try, try again. Eventually you'll get it. Mm. And um, I mean, this I time it's going to be a mobile app, and it's going to be a more extensive desktop version that has more of the censorship features that China wants for its right. if, if, for any for any Google platform that's going to operate in the country. You have to be able to effectively censor, and uh, yeah. So they had they had I mean, another yet another opportunity to say no, we're not going to step on infringe on like universal mm-hmm. right to free speech in terms but, uh, of they chose not to do that in terms of censoring they've definitely uh gotten a lot of practice with that when it comes to negative articles about google <laughs> yeah um, unfortunately all of the architecture that they would need is basically there and like yeah. so they had a they for a while they had a team of 100 engineers working on project dragonfly oh really uh prior to when this story sure, got sure, out yeah. and um yeah they were they are basically trying to reboot the entire program. Oh, one one last thing, and then I think we could probably uh, uh, wrap up. Um, there was uh, an app that was made for uh, Android called Disconnect because uh, pretty much every app on the Android can like track you in all kinds of different ways. Right. And so someone made an app that would basically shut down like all the different ways of disabling. Or all the it would disable all the different location services and all location that shit, yeah. services uh, microphone because um, they would use all kinds of crazy apps would use all kinds of crazy things like right. they would um, like play a tone that was outside of human hearing and then if another person walked by with that same app and it the microphone detected that tone coming from their right. phone then it would be able to note that these two users are within proximity what? of each other just crazy crazy shit like that and it'd be like it's an audible tone that you can't hear mm-hmm. like a dog whistle yeah that kind of thing yeah what yeah so there was this uh app i believe for android i think it was uh an app uh called disconnect yeah my dog's been getting really agitated on walks recently <laughs> For some reason, whenever I take him out, he starts covering his ears and <laughs> desperately barking. Yeah, all the dogs on the Google <laughs> campus are deaf. People, people say, uh, you know, that our, you know, our slogans don't be evil, but it, the, it, it's there's a, clearly a difference between not being evil and not torturing dogs. <laughs> um, but so this disconnect app was meant to kind of shut down all of these different types of things. And it's one of the few uh, apps along these lines that's just been banned from the Google apps. <laughs> yeah. Don't be evil. Yeah. You can find it on the Bing website pretty easily. Though. <laughs> so uh, in conclusion, use DuckDuckGo, um, which basically it's, uh, or Bing, but DuckDuckGo uses the Google search engine, but anonymizes you so it doesn't collect data. Uh, and Firefox, even though it's shittier, at least you're not sending. I don't know. I, I like as soon as I finished like this book, I was... I switched over to Firefox. And I, I was did like, have, watching the creepy line documentary. I was like, I should install Firefox immediately. Yeah. Which I didn't, but I will do tonight. <laughs> yeah. But um, we, we should probably cut that unless Firefox is willing to give us money. <laughs> <laughs>
But the uh, last thing that Andy mentioned uh, uh, about how Google has "Don't be evil" as their slogan, mm. uh, they removed that clause recently. <laughs> so if you want to know what Google's all about, they used to say "Don't be evil," and then they went, you know what? Let's not say that yeah. anymore. Uh, you can be, a, you can be evil. Let's not pretend like we're not doing what we're doing. Uh, just a couple. <laughs> if there's one thing they don't want to be, it's hypocrites. <laughs> A couple more things before we wrap up here. Um, one, one thing, again, like we've mentioned this in the case of like Amazon and Bloomberg and a lot of these other companies, but it's like how they abuse their employees. Again, like uh, in the case of like people who are actually on the Google campus. Oh, these yeah, people, we didn't even get to the right. strikes. Right. Well, I mean, uh, these uh, these people are very highly paid. Oh, yeah. Ironically enough, but right. would you believe based on uh, Sergey and Eric <laughs> Schmidt's behavior that there was a sexual harassment walkout uh, <laughs> among Google employees? Um, but uh, I did just want to quote from that book, uh, the Google guys. Um, an anonymous employee describes the work environment as, uh, at Google as a, quote, velvet prison where the perks and friendly atmosphere are offset by the pressure to work insane hours. Quote, 12 hours a day, six days a week was typical. It was optional, but there was pressure to do it. They fed you all the time, so there was no reason to leave for food. Google was a 24-7 lifestyle, and they were all such nice people. And that's like the other thing of like, you know, these kind of on-campus perks. You know, people see like the foosball tables or whatever, and they think, oh, that's sweet. Uh, or, But the entire point is like, if you have coffee and if you have food on campus, then your employees are not going to leave to get coffee right, and food right. yeah, so to, they can spend more time working. I used to work on the Microsoft campus and they've got like a bike store and they've got, they've got a music store where you can buy like trombones and shit. What? Really? On the Microsoft campus. Yeah. Huh. Oh, I would never leave. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh. But that is like fundamentally how a lot, I mean, almost all of the tech giants operate is, you know, overwork your employees and compensate them outside of more money uh, in ways that are, you know, more fun. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, how Lyft and Uber are flexible, but outside of that, they're fucking over their employees. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, the whole put on a nice face and then do terrible things while smiling. Yeah, we're all friends here. (laughs) <laughs> uh, well, I've got my fucking hand in your wallet. Yeah, you know, and I we mean, don't like to think of ourselves so much as a company as a family. Um, and, and just two other things, Yogi. There was one Could more. Could you drop spend the I weekend with get. your family? Uh, there was one more drop from that. Uh, yeah, but um, oh, and then like the other thing is um, uh, whatever you think about the guy, um, Jordan Peterson <laughs> was featured in the uh, the creepy uh, line. Not just featured; he's starring in that <laughs> film. <laughs> But um, so he was actually, again, whatever you think about the guy, he was locked out of his Gmail account. So he claims. And again, this is just kind of terrifying where it's like you have well, that all was Peterson who was locked out. That's what he well, no. Robert Epstein was as well. But Jordan Peterson has said that, you know, like, I don't really give a shit if a private company wants to demonetize YouTube videos. But it's like if they want to lock you out of your email, that's pretty fucked up because you have years and years of correspondence and things you need in there. Um, but I did want to share my impression of Jordan Peterson being <laughs> locked out of his Gmail account, which would be like, this is a result of Foucault and Deridia and the postmodernists <laughs> who tell people that you don't have access to your email at all times. I see boys with tears in their eyes saying that these postmodernist feminists are trying to make their email not a publicly accessible uh, dictate. Where's, I got to I got to dance for the people. <laughs> All right. The alt right. Yeah. <laughs> 111. Uh so yeah, 111 16 yeah. seconds. 
If you look at the traditional notion of fascism as demonstrated by Mussolini in Italy, it was a policy of Not corporatism. That bad. It was a fusing of powerful private corporations with the government and joining them together. And what we are experiencing increasingly in the tech world is a fusing of these large tech firms like Google and Facebook with our federal government. It's not just trying to get the sort of regulatory freedom that they want. It's about involvement in areas related to military technology, related to artificial intelligence, to steering the tech ship of the future of the American people. And the problem is that the conversation is being held by our political leaders with Google and Facebook, but it's a conversation that never includes us at the table. Uh, he then yeah. went on to say, now if you, uh, or Peterson went on to say, if you study The Little Mermaid, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's it's a lesson about how you should stay in the ocean. And uh, the, the the data of, of the land above the ocean... Well, and so there is just like kind of like, and again, that's kind of a horrifying dystopian picture of a potential, again, many people would argue we're already in yeah, kind of right. an oh, inver yeah, inverted totalitarianism where this kind of corporate power of these big tech companies is so fused with the government that they are unchallengeable. And that is something I was just kind of thinking about before we recorded this episode, because you know, the the Democratic Party and the Republican Party are controlled by Silicon Valley, Google and Facebook. And you know, uh, uh, say Bernie Sanders or whoever you want to save it, you know, they can take on Wall Street, they can take on healthcare. But the question is, can anybody actually within the electoral system take on all of these powerful interests? Can you I, actually go after Google and Facebook while going after Wall Street, healthcare, all of these things? I will say if anyone's impervious to getting their Google searches shut down, it's Bernie Sanders. Because <laughs> <laughs> Google can't shut down his almanac. <laughs> You know Bernie uses DuckDuckGo. <laughs> but uh, too much of a good Jewish boy. <laughs> and like one last statistic from the Creepy Line documentary, fewer than 5% of people click beyond page one of a Google search result. So we talked about the study about how manipulating these search results conditions people so much that it's like if, say, Bernie Sanders or uh, Ocasio-Cortez or whoever becomes an actual threat to Google, how hard is it for them to just say, we're going to rejigger the algorithm. Now, whenever you try to find out what they're doing, you're seeing these negative stories. When Whenever you try to find out what their opponent's doing, you're seeing nothing but positive stories on the first page. Mm -hmm. And so that was like part of my justification in my head would that be that in order to achieve any kind of change, Bernie Sanders is going to have to ally with Google and accidentally create a deus ex ending <laughs> where he uh, becomes part of some supercomputer that uh, controls all of the world for its own, uh, its own best interest. But yeah, I mean, it's just kind of a horrifying thing to chew on where it's like these people have not been challenged from the political system. And I don't even know if the political system has the power to challenge them anymore. Well, I would like to say that it has been nice being on the front page of a Google search <laughs> <laughs> for grub stakers. And uh, you know what? It's going to be sad when that front page goes back to... Uh, Whatever fucking metal company in rural Minnesota, Chicago, one bad review, and then <laughs> right. You know, there's another Grub Stakers. It's a brewery in Colorado, <laughs> and and also the person that owns that doesn't even make sense. The, the person that owns GrubStakers.com has like a huge like um, manifesto on. Uh, it's very go to GrubStakers.com and then don't tell us. Yogi just sent you to a child porn site. <laughs> um, but That's yes. 
But yes, uh, so, and then, like, we'll see what happens with Larry Page, Sergey Brin. Again, they're worth about $50 billion each. According to New York Post, Larry Page is hiding out in his island. Uh, the Post claims that for a while he didn't talk to Sergey Brin after the affair, but I'm sure they've made up by now. Um, and uh, oddly enough, Sergey Brin is working on building the world's largest airship, which... Again, like you really just can't be that much more of a Final Fantasy VII boss battle <laughs> than if you've got a giant oh, fucking that'd be airship. Such a good video game. Every <laughs> boss is a billionaire. Well, it is kind of Shinra, so. <laughs> and you know, it's pe- people say billionaires are bad, but clearly they're the best and brightest. They're the most efficient allocation of resources. Mm-hmm. Their boots are strapped all the way. Yeah, yeah, you can tell because uh, uh, Larry Page and Sergey Brin have nothing to do with the operation of Google whatsoever, yeah. <laughs> uh, but they col- control more than half of what's going on there. So they are really essential to the uh, the capitalism and the innovation that is happening. But um, any anything we didn't get to from uh, your um, uh, surveillance capitalism book, Andy? Any any <laughs> any positive notes yeah, we right. could close out on? Um, well, let's see if Chomsky. Uh, maybe this will close out. If not, we'll just cut it. We spend like ten minutes trying to Google the Chomsky quote. Like I can't find it for some reason. <laughs> oh no, I got I've, I got it in a Google proof format. Uh-huh. Uh, similarly, we can perceive the power of Skinner's behavioral technology by considering the useful observations and advice he offers. Punishable behavior can be minimized by creating circumstances in which it is not likely to occur. If a person, quote, is strongly reinforced when he sees other people enjoying themselves, he will design an environment in which children are happy, unquote. If population, nuclear war, pollution, and depletion of resources are a problem, quote, we may then change practices to induce people to have fewer children, spend less on nuclear weapons, stop polluting the environment, and consume resources at a lower rate, respectively. The reader may search for more profound thoughts than these. He may seek, but he will not find. Noam Chomsky. So that's a technocrat mindset. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, that wasn't useful. We'll cut that. I can't wait to go to Chomsky's website and see an AdSense thing on <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, you know, I, I guess this has been uh, our kind of our, our long overview of Sergey Page or Sergey Brin, Larry Page, and Google. It, you know, we'll cut this up into three parts. A um, little bit but, into Eric Schmidt. Yeah, and but, you know, like... It's a huge topic. Uh, obviously, it's three parts. Uh, we've never done a three-parter before, uh, but you know, we didn't get to everything. But we will come back to Eric Schmidt, and uh, <laughs> but his wife will not. <laughs> uh, but and we'll, on that, yeah, we'll come back for Eric Schmidt and Cheryl Sandberg. So you know, give us your thoughts on Twitter at Grubstakers Pod at Grubstakers Podcast on Gmail, but not for long. <laughs> it's soon to be Hotmail. Um, but give us your thoughts and, uh, you know, feedback and anything we didn't get to, we'll, we'll circle back in the future. But, you know, hey, best of luck out there and uh, guard your privacy because <laughs> you are being spied on and people know things about you that would terrify you. But also, there's nothing you can do about yes. it. And you also have to participate in society. So good luck with that, everybody. <laughs> and with that, I'm Yogi Bollywell. I'm Andy Palmer. Steve Jeffers. And I'm Sean P. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Viewers are familiar with you from YouTube, so it's a big deal, you're popular there, uh, that your account was suspended. Do you have any idea why? It's not No, easy. I've heard conflicting reports from the people who emailed me within Google, ranging from... Having to spend each day dark, uh, the color. Thoughts that it had something to do with the political content to 
uh, an administrative error. When um, I think it might be nicer. Uh, it's not clear at all in red why or, yellow turned, or, or why it was turned back on, although it did happen after I released light, um, a, a, a number of tweets documenting what had happened. So I don't think that was just fluke. But so I have no idea. That's actually part of the frightening mm -hmm. part is that yes. I could be shut off. Seems I have no idea why. So they turned me back on. I have no idea things. why. It's not, it's not a trivial matter when those sorts of things happen. And people tend to pass you.